as you join us today, we believe that we have a word from God for you. We believe that it's not just something of pop cultural gospel, but we believe that it is a very word that will help give you direction for the rest of the year. If you have your Bible, would you join us in the book of Mark chapter 1 as we get a word from God for ourselves, but also for you. This morning, we want you to hear our vision and our story about the direction that the Lord is leading us so that you know how to pray for us and us come along beside each other and make a difference for the glory of God in central Louisiana. We hope this message will encourage you and strengthen you for this whole year to give you direction and peace of mind. This morning, as we look at this, if you have your Bible, if you'll take it and turn to the book of Mark in chapter 1, there's some things that we want to share with you in this passage of Scripture today. The Bible says in the book of Mark, chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path way straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching baptism of the repentance of sins. The whole Judean countryside, and he went all over the place, and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John wore camel hair garments with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. I guess he was on the Daniel fast, huh? And uh, as we go forward here, he was preaching, and uh, someone more powerful than I am coming, and I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie or strap or buckle his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with fire. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he was up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending like him on a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and I take delight in. And immediately the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness and he was there for 40 days of prayer and fasting and being tempted by the enemy. So what does this mean for us today? Well, as we look at it, the new year is off and running, and there's no way that you can stay in the same place. Hebrews in chapter 1 and into chapter 2 talks about the peril of just drifting. You know, as you think about this, you always have to be intentionally moving forward. You have to be guiding yourself. Even at the slowest speed, you can veer off course. And if we're not careful in this year, you may start out with great targets because we're always focused in January. We're always trying to zero in on something to move towards a target. But if you're not careful and you're intentionally focusing on what it is you're trying to accomplish, you will drift away. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says, be careful that you don't drift away because he understood the concept that you had to be intentional about moving forward and intentional about moving towards your target. Intentional about moving towards your destiny. Can we talk about that for just a moment? 
moving towards your destiny. The purpose of your being. The reason that you exist. Many people live the majority of their life and they never fully understood their destiny. They just existed. Existing is not living. It's not, it's not abounding. It's just what I call surviving. You are not created to just survive, but you were created for a purpose. And in this new year, if you're not careful, we will be happy with just surviving, with the struggle, you know. It, the problem about living on purpose is it's hard work. The purpose, the problem about living towards a target is it's a challenge. The problem about always zeroing in and moving in that direction of what God created you is that it stretches you. The problem with stretching is that it hurts. The problem with pulling muscles, matter of fact, uh, many of you have got your new gym membership and or you just knocked the dust off the one from last year, and you're refocusing on that. And The thing that they'll tell you about working out is that if your muscles feel like they're tearing, it's good news. Because you literally have to put them through that pain for them to go to the next level. And the problem is, as creatures, we so much uh, hate pain. As humans, we hate pain. We don't want anything to do with it. So if anything stretches us or pulls our spiritual hamstrings, so to speak, we resent it and run away from it and take the path of least resistance. Can I tell you that John the Baptist was not looking for the path of least resistance? And as we think about this, my question is, what are you running towards? As you move forward, what is it that you're looking for? As a church, what are we running towards? Well, there's three things that I want you to write down today. I want you to write these down because these are the three things that I want us to continue to talk about. I want it to be repeated. I want it to be our target as we move forward. As we move forward, the first thing that I really want us to always be focusing on is that we're always reaching up. We're always looking up first and foremost. You see, not that our first priority would be about us personally, not that it would be about us collectively as a family called Family of Grace, but that our first priority would be to look up. That our first priority would be to honor and glorify God in every single thing we do. Are you with me this morning, church? You see, the problem is that so many times we feel like we must look in and we must look around and it must be about us so that if we're stronger and we're healthier, then we can turn around and glorify God in that way. The thing about John the Baptist, you'll notice, is that he was always looking up. Matter of fact, when you think about this in the beginning of his message right here, it says, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. And John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins all over the place and uh, was baptizing people. But what was his message? There is coming one. 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 Now, understand something that's interesting. That the Old Testament is filled with prophets. They're divided into what we call major prophets and minor prophets. I don't know. Those minor prophets put out more than I can really handle. Amen. But the theologians divide them into what we call major prophets and minor prophets and, uh, and, and, and what they were doing. But here's the interesting concept that I want to share with you. That it had been 400 years that God had not sent a prophet 
that God had not sent a messenger to the people of Israel. Now understand they were very accustomed to having a prophet. What is the job of a prophet? Was to go to man on behalf of God with a message. The job of a priest was to go to God on behalf of man, but a prophet was to go to man on behalf of God. And so this was the cycle. This is the way God spoke. This is the way God moved. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 1 and 1, it says this, In times past, God used to speak to us through signs and wonders and prophets, but in these last days has chosen to speak to us through his son, Jesus. Now, here's the interesting dynamic. 400 years. Say it with me. 400 years. 400 years since they had heard a man of God filled with the Spirit of God walk down the streets of Jerusalem, walk in and out around the children of Israel. They were in a famine of the Word of God. Did you know the Bible says in the book of Amos that in the last days there will be a famine, but not of bread or water, but a famine for the very Word of God. Listen, we don't have a shortage of pulpits. We don't have a shortage of churches in our country. We don't have a shortage of people giving little talks on Sunday morning, but we have a shortage of hearing the Word of God. One of the very things that we share on our prayer list for you to be praying for, for your staff over these next 12 months, is that God would speak to us in light of what we're supposed to be saying to you. That it wouldn't be some theory. That we wouldn't build a whole sermon series based on what's the popular movie taking place around us, but that we would get a word from God and that we would share that word from God. Did you know a word from God's not popular? But I'm telling you that try to live without it. And you feel like you're just surviving. The interesting dynamic about this is that John the Baptist came speaking a word. What was the word? He, it was 400 years since there was somebody who showed up and was pointing upward. Pointing upward. Pointing upward. If we're not careful, we'll begin to look across the horizon and look this way. The first position that a believer should always look is they should always look up. The first thing that you ought to do in this time of prayer and fasting over the next 21 days is to look up, to look up, to look up, to look up and say, God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? What was John the Baptist's message? Repent, because there's coming one. Repent, because there's coming one. What is our message today? Repent, because the one has already come. What was the one? The one was Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting dynamic about John the Baptist is this, that he kept saying there is coming one, and he's bringing the power. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the fire of the Spirit of God. And there's a difference. There is a difference today. There is a difference. I am telling you there is a difference. There is a difference. There is a difference. There's a difference when you hear somebody preach who has a word from God and you hear somebody preach who just pulled something off the internet and said, well, this looks good. I think I'll go share these few points. I'm telling you that what we need today at Family of Grace, what I need in my life, is not intellectual stimulation. I need the very word from God. Intellectual stimulation is great. It stretches your mind. It stretches your thoughts. It's good for your life, and you should always be learning. But I am telling you that what we need to do is look up in this brand new year and say, God, more than anything, I want to see you. I want to see you in my life. Are you out there, church? I want to see you in my life, Lord. I want to see a fresh demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost of God. John the Baptist always, his, he had vertical sermons. They always pointed up. Amen. They always pointed to the one. 
let me, let me go a little bit further in this. The second thing that we want to do is not only do we always want to look up, we want to declare the hope, the hope of the nation, the hope of the church, the hope of the city is the one, Jesus Christ. Not only do we always want to be pointing upward, but that we may reach inward. You see, the first thing is that we look to God. The second thing is that we look in. Because when you look to God, you will be forced to look in. The problem is in our Christian culture that we have today in our country is that our Christianity always forces us to look out. I've been amazed at how much of our teaching today in our in the name of Jesus is looking outward. It's looking out. It's looking out. It's looking out. Let me tell you, if you're if, if the preaching and teaching isn't looking up, then it's not looking in. And if it's only looking out, then you're going to have some very very shallow roots. One of the things that is our greatest desire this year is that we look up that we look up to God in prayer, that we look up to God in the preaching of the word, that we look up to God in corporate worship, and that we look up to Him, that we look up to Him and that we're overwhelmed with songs that are not just singing about God intellectually, but that are worshiping to God, singing songs to God, to God. Let me illustrate my point in the very issue of worship. Just start looking at the songs that you sing more often and you just think, are they... Are they just singing about him or to him? Because there's a big difference. Now, in this dynamic, when you begin to look upward, it will always force you to look inward. Matter of fact, John the Baptist said this, I'm not worthy. Turn over to another gospel if you don't mind. It's the gospel of John. Let's look at John's account of this. A little bit further, though, Jesus had already been baptized by John the Baptist. He had already gone through his 40 days of prayer and fasting. He was tempted by the devil. And in this passage of scripture, it's interesting in John 3. Matter of fact, he had already done his first miracle before John accounts for it. The ministry of Jesus was really and truly off and running full steam ahead. Matter of fact, Jesus had already given the great declaration that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He had already given that declaration. And here's what happened in John chapter 3 and verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, and this Jesus and his disciples went to the countryside, the Judean countryside, where he spent time with them and baptized. And guess who was also there doing the work of the ministry? This guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was also baptizing there because there was much water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown in prison. Then a dispute rose up among John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they went to John and told him, Rabbi, the one that you testified about, see, the one that you were pointing up towards, the one that you testified about who was with you across the Jordan is baptized and everybody is flocking to him. Underline that in your Bible because that's pretty important. They're flocking to him. Now here's the response. And John said to them, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the one. But there is coming one. The Messiah. 
but you've been sent ahead. Do you not remember that that was my message? There's coming one whose straps I'm not worthy to buckle on his sandals or I'm not worthy to unloosen on his sandals, but I have been sent ahead. Now, underline this in your Bible because I want to spend some time here for a few minutes. He is the bridegroom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. If you go back into John's life, this just didn't start. Matter of fact, when Jesus came to be baptized by John, he said this, Lord, I can't do that. I'm not worthy. Please don't make me baptize you. And Jesus said, John, it must be. It must be. It must, you must do this. And John followed through. Now, here's the interesting thing about John. When dispute began to rise up, what did he do? He pointed up. He pointed up. How could he point up? How could he not stand there and defend himself and try to prop up his own ministry and begin to say, well, my ministry did all this and my ministry did this way before Jesus ever got here? How was it that he didn't naturally try to defend himself because when he was looking up, it always forced him to look in. See, when you look into the face of the Son of God, it will force you to look inward. And when it forces you to look inward, it will force you to look at what's happening in your own heart. Now, one of the main things that is a very controversial in our day and age is that we're just too busy looking all around us. We're not busy looking into the gospel. The gospel changes lives. The gospel changes marriages. The gospel changes situation with children. The gospel will change situations in your job. The gospel will change situations in your neighborhood. The gospel is the answer because the gospel from the beginning of the book of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation points to the one who was coming and to the one who is coming back. Are you picking up what I'm putting down today, church? The gospel from the beginning to the end points to the Lamb of God that would come to take away the sins of the world. And the gospel points to the one who would soon return on the white stallion coming to be victorious over all the hell by the square inch in this world. One of the reasons that churches are failing, one of the reasons that government or government is failing, one of the reasons for the racial tension that is being generated in our society, one of the reasons for the cultural tension in our society today about what I have and what I don't have and all of these things around us today is because we are measuring by man's rule. But when you look up, it will force you to look in. And when you look in, you will realize that regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of your nationality, regardless of what cultural group you may live in, regardless of your social economical status that you may dwell in, you will realize that there is none good in you but Him, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified, period. Amen and amen and amen. Now the interesting dynamic of this is that's not the message being preached. That's not the message being preached. And what we need is a church, what we need is a people what we need is a people who is willing to live the gospel. To flesh out the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist said, it's okay. It's okay because I'm not the bridegroom. Now, originally, the bridegroom, the, bri the best man, and 
Jesus' day, it was known not as the best man, not as the maid of honor, but the friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, his job was to support the bridegroom. And understand that engagement was a a, a huge deal in Jesus' day. The biggest thing about engagement today is, how am I going to do it? How am I going to surprise her? How am I going to, 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 to leave a lasting impression in that way? But the, the engagement in the Jewish culture was huge. Matter of fact, they called it the betrothal period. And when they became engaged, they would come together and the bride and the, the bridegroom would separate. And the bridegroom would go back and would begin to prepare a place for his bride, normally it was at the father's house. He would go back and he would begin to add on a room to his father's house in the Jewish culture. And when all things were ready, the bride, bridegroom did not determine when he would go get the bride. But the father would tell the groom, the bridegroom, now son, you've done everything right. You've made preparations for your bride. You've made preparations for your family. And your bride has now made herself ready. So in this culture that Jesus is addressing, that John the Baptist is speaking of, is they are way, way apart. I mean, the bridegroom's way over here, and the, and the, and the bride is way over here. And between the bride and the groom stands a friend of the bridegroom. And the job of the friend of the bridegroom was to facilitate the coming together and the culmination and the, of the marriage when they would come together. And I am telling you that, I mean, the, the job of, a, of a, the friend of the bridegroom was a whole lot more than the job of the best man. I mean, the biggest job of the best man today is like, really, just don't mess up the, the, the don't fumble the rings. I mean, if, if you can just not fumble the rings, you've been a successful bridegroom. If you, if you don't fumble her, her, uh, her, her bouquet, when, you, when she passes that off to you for the exchange, if the, if the maid of honor doesn't, doesn't fumble the bouquet, if she keeps the train of the dress in the proper placement, then she's been pretty successful. Amen. But that's not how it was in the biblical culture. No, 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 no. The, the friend of the bridegroom had a close, close relationship with the bride and the groom. And the groom was so overwhelmed in the preparation that the friend of the bridegroom would help make sure everything was in place. Now understand this about John the Baptist. You had to make sure that you had the right friend of the bridegroom so that the friend of the bridegroom didn't try to steal the attention of the bride. For you see, the friend of the bridegroom was to point to the groom. He wasn't to try to steal the spotlight and say, oh, and make the bride think, well, this is the best friend of the bridegroom we've ever seen. I mean, he cares about me. He makes sure I know everything. Listen, listen, listen. John the Baptist said, he who has the bride is the groom. I'm just a friend. So I must decrease so that he can increase. Church, we must decrease by looking in and saying, Lord, you elevate me. Lord, you give me my promotion. Lord, you orchestrate my pathway. Lord, you line up who I need to be connected with. Lord, I'm just going to decrease so that you can increase. Now, here's the dynamic. See, 
as we move forward in this new year, we want to intentionally reach up and look to God for everything. Everything we do, we want it to be centered around that. We want to intentionally look inward. That's why we're challenging myself and everybody to search your heart for 21 days and say, God, how will I spend the next 11 months of my year when this is over with and I have 11 months yet left that have all these pages, all these blank pages. Lord, how will I live it? Lord, that I might live it on purpose with a target and not just living and doing whatever comes next, but live with passion, live with purpose. And then you see the last thing is that when you reach up like John did and you reach in, you're going to reach out because you're in tune with the heartbeat of the Father. And when you're in tune with the heartbeat of the Father, you'll feel what he feels. You'll feel what he feels. You say, Pastor, what should be our number one prayer in this time of prayer and fasting? Lord, help us to feel what you feel. Lord, would you stamp eternity on the back of our eyelids? Lord, would you help us to see the broken the way you see them? Would you help us to see the successful the way that you see them? Lord, would you help me? Would you help me to see mankind the way that you see them? See, John, he reached out to the multitudes. His preaching drew the masses. His preaching drew the religious crowds. And his preaching drew a line in the sand. I think one of the things the Lord has spoken to my heart and life about the most is to ask the question. To ask the question. To love somebody enough to ask the question. Not just to be their friend, not just to be their neighbor, but to love them enough to ask the question about their relationship with Jesus Christ. As we conclude the sermon today, there is no doubt in this new year that God is wanting to intentionally use you to reach out to others. This year, we pray that you can reach up to God in a new way, that you can grow in your relationship with Him in an intimacy that you may have never understood before. And the best way to do that is by searching your own heart, your own soul, and reaching inward and seeing exactly what it is that God is doing. In this new year, as Family of Grace strives to move forward, to break through cultural barriers, to help people connect from different places and different groups and identity groups, God can truly use you. Number one, he can use you at home. Maybe you live too far, you're already part of another church, and you just record our service on a Sunday morning. He can use you to pray for us. Would you contact us and we can send you specific prayer requests to be in prayer for our ministry. Number two, God can use you to come along beside us and partner with us. Maybe you're at a place where you've just grown frustrated of wondering how long before somebody does something. Maybe in this new year you want to be one of those people that live this whole year reaching up and reaching in and reaching out to make a difference. And then last of all, Maybe you're one of those people that you just want to partner with our ministry. You may, be, you may just want to help us. You may not be able to go, but you want to help hold the rope for us, not only through prayer, but through financially helping us continue to penetrate through these cultural barriers in our city that we can make a difference for the glory of God. 
in this brand new year, God wants to use you. Would you join us in really and truly impacting central Louisiana, Peru, and other places around the world for the glory of God? We hope to hear from you and want to thank you for making a difference in our ministry. Thank you for letting us know your heart and what God is doing.